Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. The West Huntsville Church of Christ at Providence is located at 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Anytime you're in the Huntsville area, we hope you'll stop in and be part of our worship. Sunday morning worship is at 9 o'clock, with Bible class immediately following. Sunday evening worship is at 5. Midweek Bible study is held Wednesdays at 7. Okay, tonight we're going to have a follow-up on our video. Did did y'all enjoy the video? One person I heard did did not like it. Maybe it was all the bodies laying around, I don't know. Tonight we're just going to spend time follow up follow up discussion about about the video itself. When Mount Vesuvius erupted, this was basically the area that it covered. There is a there is a city, an ancient city, that got buried. Oh, stop it! It got buried. Let's see if I can. Hit the right buttons here. Herculaneum. If you ever get a chance to research that, that's that's an interesting dig that's going on now. They can only uncover part of that city because over time, the ruins of that city were built on top of, of and there is an, actually a city built on top of those ruins. They cannot dig much or the city above is going to collapse through the ruins. So they can't, they can't really do much digging there. Obviously, Pompeii, they could, they could dig the entire city up out from under all the ash. But Mount Vesuvius covered quite a bit of area whenever it, it erupted, for sure. Now, if you recall, if you recall the, the video, the video did mention one party that was indeed guilty of all five of these sins that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 9. Now, as we go through the book of Revelation, we're going to get more and more clues as to who the villain is, and this is one of the biggest clues we have so far in the first nine chapters. Um, if you remember your video... Rome was indeed guilty of worshiping demons and idols, gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood. They were guilty of murders. Remember the gladiator? Even even Pompeii had its own coliseum where they forced people into gladiator games. Sorcery, the magic superstition of the Roman gods in invoking evil spirits. They were they were guilty of fornication. This is one of the times in Revelation where the word fornication is definitely literal and not figurative. And then thefts, stealing. In this case, that would probably be in reference to the stealing of the bodies and the souls of human beings for slaves. Obviously, there was a big, a a vibrant slave trade going on in Pompeii. So there you have... There you have archaeology indicating one of the possible villains of the book of Revelation. However, the relationship between Pompeii and, and Revelation goes a little bit deeper than that. If you will talk to a premillennialist, premillennialism has three claims concerning 
Pompeii. They claimed that Pompeii's destruction was God's revenge against the Roman Empire for what Rome was doing to the church. They claimed that Revelation directly references the destruction of Pompeii, as a matter of fact. And then the claim number three, I'll, I'll talk about that in a few minutes. First, Pompeii's destruction is God's revenge. Can you tell me a single time in the book of Revelation where the word revenge shows up? It's not there. You will see the word avenge three times. Revelation chapter 6 verse 10, when, when the souls beneath the altar are asking God, how long before you avenge our blood? Revelation chapter 18 verse 20, the verse says God will judge the judgment for you against her. The King James Version says avenge, which which is fine because that's what, that's basically what that what that verse is saying. And then in Revelation chapter nine verse two, it says He God has avenged the blood of His servants at her hand, talking about the villain of the book of Revelation. You're not going to see anything in Revelation about revenge. So clearly, Pompey's destruction, even if it was God who did it, was not for revenge. Uh, Revelation chapter 9, verse 20. I keep going back to that verse over and over again. God is looking for repentance. He's not looking for revenge. The second claim, and we're going to go through these slides fast, it looks like. The second claim is that Revelation is directly referenced. Revelation directly references the destruction of Pompeii. Premillennials say that that's what Revelation 18.8 says. Therefore shall her plagues come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. Premillennials get hung up on that phrase in one day and the phrase utterly burned with fire and claims that that is actually Revelation referring to the destruction of Pompeii. Probably not. That probably isn't. You have the word you have the word plagues here. That's the same word used in chapter nine when God tried to get repentance out of the villain of the book of Revelation and it didn't work. We're going to find out when we get there, but Revelation chapter 18 is a follow-up to what takes place in chapter 17. Chapter 17 is a follow-up on what happens in chapter 16 by positively identifying the villain of the book of Revelation for us. With chapter 16, 17, and 18 so tied together, I doubt very seriously this verse is talking about Pompeii. It is interesting, though. It is a close description, isn't it? It happened in one day, and it was indeed utterly burned with fire. Before we get to claim to claim number three, let's um, let's discuss something. This is about as strange as Revelation is going to get. Our class is going to get. We'll discuss this and see see if I can keep myself out of trouble. As I was growing up, I uh, I was young, and I would hear members of the church make different comments, and it sounded like to me they thought that the the church the religious world in general, own things that they, that they really don't own. Let's go through three of these right quick. 
The hymns we sing, we don't own them. We can't boss anybody around but ourselves when it comes to these songs. We don't own the words, we don't own the music, and in some cases, even the person who put the music to the song didn't own the, didn't own the music. One interesting statement that I heard growing up from several members of the church, I don't know why, but, but they said this. They said, symphony orchestras are committing a sin when they play the, 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 when they play the music to the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee. I'm looking for reactions on faces to see if, See how many people know the answer to that. You talk about people who don't know what they're talking about. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee started out as a symphony. It's it's the last movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. And in the early 1900s, someone wrote the song, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, and kind of pulled Beethoven's music into that and gave it to the world. But hey... We stole it fair and square, so it is a sin for orchestras to play that song, right? Well, we didn't steal it, but borrowed it without paying royalties, let's call it that. Elvis Presley, one of the things he liked to do when he was alive and singing concerts was to sing um, How Great Thou Art. Have y'all, heard, have y'all heard his rendition of that song? Beautiful. It's a song... If he wants to sing it, that's fine with me. I remember hearing people complain about that when I was little. Of course, I wasn't, I don't know, I guess I was alive when he was alive. I'm not sure. But I heard people, people complain about that. You know, if he wants to sing that, that, that's fine. What's wrong with that? Someone that you may or may not know, a, a country music singer from the 60s and 70s and 80s named Sonny James. Y'all heard of him? He's a member of the church, or he was. He died a couple of years ago. He recorded a live album that he released as his next album in the Houston Astrodome. And on that, on that record, he, he sang, How Great Thou Art. I don't know. I, I was so young when I heard that album that I, I wasn't interested in hearing what the church thought about things like that. I don't, I don't remember what the reaction was to that. But we don't own the songs. We can control what we do within the walls of this building. We, can, we don't even have any say what other congregations, sister congregations in town, do with their songs. And there's a couple of them that are getting on the edge if they haven't already fallen off the cliff with the way they sing their songs. Amy Grant, oh, I heard this all the time that I was in, high, in, in college. Amy Grant is a member of the church as well, or at least she was. She sings two very popular songs at concerts. One of them is Emmanuel, and the other one is Thy Word. I don't know why there are members of the church who complain about it. We can control what we do. We cannot control what other people do because we don't own these songs. They're, they're not ours. Outside of the confines of our worship of West Huntsville, we don't control who sings them, what they sing, when they sing them, why they sing them, how they sing them, to whom they sing them. But sometimes we do like to be vocal about that. 
Phrases in the Bible. We do not own words and phrases that we find in the Bible. Uh, redeem, how I love to proclaim it, redeem by the blood of the Lamb, and then we go to the grocery store and say, I want to redeem these coupons. Nothing wrong with that. Words mean something within the context of the Bible, but they're just words. They are just words. And everyone who speaks English has the right to use those words however they want to. In 1979, a song was written by a lady named Carol Connors and a man named David Shire. The this song was the soundtrack for a 1979 motion picture named Fast Break. Does anybody know the song? I can name that song in five notes. Anybody know the name of that song yet? Okay, let's keep going. It was performed by Motown recording, recording artist Bill Preston and Sarita Wright. It was a very popular song, too. Uh, in 1979, on the U.S. Adult Contemporary, it reached number two. On the U.S. Hot 100 billboard, it reached number four. It was even popular... Overseas, Sweden, it got up to number nine. The UK, it got as high as number two. Canada Adult Contemporary, it got high as number four. Canada Top Singles, it reached number nine. In Ireland, it reached number seven. The Netherlands, it reached number seven. Australia, it reached number 21. In Belgium, it reached number 17. And Italy, it reached number 14. And by the time 1979 was over in the United States Top 100 Billboard, it was number 10. Very popular song. But I was young enough then, I didn't really pay that much attention as to what the religious world said about some of these songs using some of our phrases. Anyone know the name of this song? Was that enough of a hint? I don't know, it might, it might actually aggravate you to hear the name of it, I don't know. The name of the song was, With You I'm Born Again. It's just words. It's just a phrase. We don't own that phrase. The phrase born again means something to us within the context of the Bible. It's just a phrase. It has meaning outside of the Bible too for anyone who wants to use it as well. We don't own the phrases or the words in the Bible. And I say all of that just to say this. We don't own some religious terms. Why do we not call our elders cardinals? Well, you say, well, Bruce, that's because the word cardinal is not found in the Bible. Yep, exactly. We don't, we don't see the word cardinal in the Bible, so we don't use it. Well, the word pulpit minister is also not found in the Bible, and we use it. We use that phrase. I read an article last week, first time I had ever seen anything like this or read anything like it. There was a member of the church blasting the churches of Christ for using the phrase pulpit minister because it's not found in the Bible, so therefore it should be out of our vocabulary. We need to call the preacher a preacher or a minister or something, not a pulpit minister. Well, we use pulpit minister and don't have a problem with that. We can control the definition of pulpit minister. We cannot control the definition of the word cardinal. Same goes with the word pope. We don't use the, same, the word pope unless we're talking about the Catholic Church. Why? 
because we don't own it. We cannot control the definition of it. Now, we can go out and make a huge announcement to every major city in the United States. We can say, okay, West Huntsville is going to start using the word cardinal, but it's going to mean elder, and start using it. And it doesn't matter how, how loudly you shout that from the, from the rooftops. Every time we say cardinal, the person we're talking to is going to think Roman Catholic Church. Why? Because they own the definition of that word. They own that word. They control its definition. Ah, get back here. Now, what's the purpose of all this? The purpose of all this is because the third claim that premillennialists makes is a word that I know of at least three congregations in town who have a problem with this word. Thankfully, I've actually never heard a single person at West Huntsville use this word. Thank you. Please keep it up. That's perfect. These other three congregations in town, though, I've heard several of their members use it all the time. I've unfriended some members and unfollowed others on Facebook just because everything is this word. The third claim that premillennialism makes about Pompeii is that Pompeii was Rome's karma. If you look, if you look up the definition of the word karma in, in Merriam-Webster dictionary, it's going to say the force generated by a person's actions held in Hinduism or Buddhism to perpetuate, oh boy, all those big words. Basically, you get what you ask for. You're going to get however you act. Actions seen as being, bring, as being brought upon oneself and inevitable results, good or bad, either in this life or in the reincarnated life. I don't like the formal, I don't like the formal definitions. I like these, these definitions instead. You're going to have good karma on earth if you behave yourself. If you are a good person, you act good, you, uh, you tithe, you go to church all the time, you behave yourself, you're going to have good karma. That means nothing bad's going to happen to you. That's your reward. Bad karma is when you're not a good person. You're going to have bad karma. In this life, probably, and most definitely when you are reincarnated. Why is karma used by Buddhists? This, this, is, this is interesting. Historians think that they can trace back the Buddhist use of the word karma all the way back to 2350 B.C., now, since Buddhists did not, do not believe in a heaven or hell, they had to have some way to keep their, to keep their parishioners in line. So it is thought by historians, they can't prove it, but it is thought by historians that Buddhists actually stole karma from the Hindus in order to have some way of controlling their people. Basically, if you're good, your reincarnated life is going to be good if you are a bad person, you are going to have bad karma. You're going to have bad things happen to you. What's interesting about karma is that karma is powered by the forces of the universe. You're not going to find a person who believes in karma 
saying that it is God controlling the karma. It's always forces of the universe. Now, if karma is true, then nothing bad is ever going to happen to me. Nothing bad is ever going to happen to me if I'm good. There's no need for God to discipline His saints. There's no need for heaven and hell. If karma is it, then there's no, no reason to be punished in hell for an eternity or, or be rewarded in heaven for an eternity because karma is going to take care of it for me or take care of it for God, for Him. Um, if karma is true, there's no need for death row. Karma is going to take care of it for you. You may not ever, you may not ever solve the crime, but hey, the person is going to be taken care of, right? That's the definition of karma by, by default. If karma was true, my daughter would be out of out of work. You don't need human resources at work because a person misbehaving will eventually get fired or something bad's going to happen to them and they're going to be out of the way. If karma is true, no need to get mad at that driver that just cut you off in traffic because he's probably going to wreck around the next corner. Right? That's karma. If karma is true, the Bible's a lie because karma, the doctrine of karma, contradicts the Bible from front to end. The purpose of karma... It's basically to get even with people. Even in Buddhism, even in the Hindu religion, karma is to get even with you. You did something bad, so something bad is going to happen to you. You did something bad to someone else, so karma is going to fix it. This next slide, I found this online. and Boy, this hurts. This hurts. I'm going to replace the word compilations with Facebook posts. Okay? Here it is. Dear Christianity, if you are the true religion, why are there more instant karma Facebook posts than there are instant forgiveness Facebook posts? Curious. Ooh. Ow. That hurts. That's true. How many people have you seen post on Facebook, oh, karma this or or karma that? I get so tired of seeing that. But it's true. It's interesting that Christians would even say this word because we don't own this word. We don't own the definition. We do not control it. We can shout it from the rooftops just like we were going to shout from the rooftops about the word cardinal. It means elder now. Well, we can redefine karma all day long, but, but every time we say it, the Buddhist definition of the word karma is what's going to come to those people's mind when you say it. Yes? Well, is Christian, is, what they're basically saying, if Christianity is true and Buddhism is false, if the Buddha religion is false and the Christianity religion is true, I'm not talking about Church of Christ, Baptist, Catholic. I'm just talking about Christianity versus Buddha. If Christianity is true, then why are there more Buddha posts than there are Christian posts? Why are there more karma posts than there are forgiveness posts?
Yeah, this is just this this um, this particular post. This is just a comparison between which is true, the Bible, or what Buddhists teach. That that that's all this that's that's all this is saying. Will you stipulate for me that the apostles in the New Testament probably knew about Buddhism? Is, is that a fair assumption? I, I would probably say it was. You remember in Acts chapter 17, verse 23, Paul went to Athens, was it? Was it Athens? And he saw all these idols to all these different gods. You think Buddha was one of them? Probably so. Buddha and Hinduism are two of the oldest religions in history. Hindu supposedly is the oldest religion in in history. So do you think that probably, probably the apostles understood at least the, the existence of Buddha, of the Buddha religion or the Hindu religion? Probably so. They probably knew of, of they probably knew a lot about a lot of false doctrines from all the countries surrounding them, from people coming and going and, and discussing it with them. And I've got my, I've got my, a little bit out, out of order. How about Job's friends? Did Job's friends believe in karma? I suspect they did. As old as old as Hindu and Buddhist religions are, they may have actually been Buddhist or Hindu. Job, you did something wrong. You must have done something wrong. Otherwise, all this wouldn't be happening to you. Do you think Peter knew the doctrine of karma? John chapter 9, 1 through 3 says, And Jesus passed by, and he saw a man which was blind from birth, and his disciples Ask him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Boy, that's, that's the poster child for the definition of karma. Is that, what, is that what Peter was talking about? Boy, it sure sounds like it, doesn't it? If karma is true, there's a couple of changes we need to make around here. First of all, we need to ditch our benevolence program. People who are in the situation that they're in are there because of karma, and there's nothing we can do to fix it. As a matter of fact, we don't have the luxury to fix it. The reason is because with karma, according to the religion, if you interfere with karma dealing with somebody, guess what's going to happen? Karma is going to come after you. So if karma is real, there goes a benevolence program. We don't need one. We don't need to be messing with people who are having to deal with karma. We can forget about the invitations at the end of the sermons. Somebody sitting on the third row here? No. We're not going to invite them to come forward to get anything. They're in their situation because karma, karma is solving a problem in their life, whether it's in this life and the next life too, or just this life. We cannot interfere with people who are having to deal with karma. 
And by the way, I'll prove that to you in a minute. Let's make some observations right quick. There's some observations concerning the destruction of Pompeii, and then we'll get completely off Pompeii, and we won't ever hit it again until chapter 18, maybe. Premillennialists want to say that Pompeii, the destruction of Pompeii, is God's revenge against Rome for what Rome was doing to the church. I'm not going to say that, that premillennialists are right at all, but there, there are some interesting coincidences that appear in the book of Revelation. When we get to Revelation chapter 17, we're going to discover that the, the setting of the book We still don't know when it was written. The setting of the book of Revelation appears to be 80 AD, give or take one year. If that is indeed the setting, that means that the seven churches of Asia read the book of Revelation sometime during that time period. 80 AD, give or take one year. Pompeii was destroyed the day after their god Vulcan's worship day. Two questions. I have no idea what the answer is. It's just a thought for questions to keep you awake tonight. Was the destruction of Pompeii one of the plagues mentioned in Revelation chapter 9, verse 20? When it says, after these plagues, still they repented not. And number question number two, was the destruction of Pompeii a message not to Rome, but to the seven churches of Asia as they read the book of Revelation? Or does Pompeii have nothing to do with Revelation at all? Just some thought questions for you. I told you I was going to prove what I was saying about karma. You want to see karma? I'll tell you where to go. Here's where you go. Go to the country of Thailand. You want to see real karma in action? I'm not talking about what some Christians like to say. Say uh, when, when some Christians use the word karma, what they mean. I'm not, not. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about karma, Buddhist karma. If you want to see it, go to Thailand. In 2004, a doctor Tanaku wrote a book that said it's estimated that Thailand has 2 million women prostitutes, 800,000 children prostitutes under the age of 18, and 20,000 adult male prostitutes. The reason that the underaged is so high is because there's a lot of poverty, especially in the northeastern highlands of Thailand. And those families, since females are pretty much a second-class citizen, these families will actually sell their 12-year-old daughters into prostitution just so money will come into the family. That's why that number is so high. And I suspect it's even higher than that. I've, I've seen some estimates that the total number is probably closer to 3 or 4 million. Of course, it's not a real good, no one has a real good count on that. In 2015, the United Nations AIDS program estimated that approximately 500,000, half a million ties Thai prostitutes have some type of of sexually transmitted disease. 
And in that year, approximately 21,000 were going to die of HIV and AIDS. In the 1990s, sexually transmitted disease were the number one cause of death in Thailand. Today, it's like five or six, so it's, it's still up there pretty high. The prostitution industry brings in approximately $25 billion into that tiny country every year. And there's you got the parents selling. Why? Kevin Bells wrote a book called Disposable People, New Slavery in the Global Economy. He said the reason is because 93% of Thailand's population is Buddhist. Even though prostitution is not accepted by the Thai people, and even though technically it's illegal, it still goes on because it brings in so much money. And also, the police are on the take as well. Just about the entire police force of the major cities are being paid off by the bars and the brothels and, and the prostitutes. And by the way, there are, there's article after article after article on the internet if you want to learn more about this. In this book, Kevin said there's three reasons. There's economic reasons, there's Buddhism's view of women as inferior, and there's the karma of the prostitutes. There we go. There's our word. The karma of the prostitutes. These Buddhists believe that these women are being punished for something. They did something in their previous life that was not good. Therefore, they are being punished in this particular reincarnation of their lives. Or maybe they did something in their current life and they're being punished the rest of this life and into the next reincarnated life. Because of this, there is no help for these women. In the United States, there's help around every corner, not in Thailand. These people, 93% of these people being Buddhist, they aren't going to help any of these people get out of this business. And if they have problems, um, I read an article where some of the, the owners of the brothels, some of the owners of the prostitution rings are very violent. They'll, they'll kill them in an instant. And very little, if, if anything, is ever done. Why? The reason is because 93% of the Thai people are Buddhist. They're not going to mess with karma. If karma is indeed what's causing these people to have to go through this lifestyle, there is not going to be any help at all. They're not going to touch them. There is no love with karma. There is no love. There is no compassion. There is no mercy. And there is no help. When's the last time you heard someone use the word karma and used it lovingly? I can almost promise you, you never will. It's usually used, it's usually used when someone cuts you off in traffic. Yeah, buddy, karma will get you. There's a tree around that next corner that's just waiting for you. As a matter of fact, the sign for the word karma is kind of interesting. It uses a letter K. That's a sign for get even with. Karma is using it with a K. Because that's exactly what karma is. It's getting even with somebody. Whether it's us wanting wanting to get even with somebody, or if it's the powers of the universe wanting 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 to get even with somebody or punish them for something they did in their previous life. 
karma. I hate that word. I hate the definition of it, and I hate that there are Christians that actually use that word. Karma teaches there is no heaven, there is no hell, and there is no God. And yet we will still use it. We won't use Pope. We won't use uh, Cardinal. We don't control the definition of those. Well, we don't use the definition of karma either. And thank you for not using that word. I've never heard anyone here ever use it. I've never seen, of the Facebook friends I have here, I've never seen anyone ever post it. But there's other congregations in town who are eat up with it. We have about eight minutes left. Any comments on that? Have I gotten myself into trouble? I highly encourage you to go study Buddhism. Study, study karma. I've, I've, I've touched the hymn of the garment. I haven't, I haven't gone deep into it at all here. Go study it. Learn it. Find out what Buddhism teaches. Find out what karma actually is. Find out why, why Thailand, outside of the economic purposes, find out why they don't have anything to do with, with these prostitutes in helping them. While we have a few minutes, let's do something kind of fun. How would that be? The archaeological finds of Pompeii prove that Rome was guilty of those five sins. Murder, what were they? Somebody name them for me. Worship of demons, murders, sorceries, fornications, and thefts. All five of those were featured on that. Yeah. And then premillennialism takes it even further and makes those three claims about Pompeii, saying that Pompeii, Pompeii's destruction was God's revenge against Rome for what Rome was doing to the church. They said Revelation directly references Pompeii, and they said that the destruction of Pompeii was Rome's karma. Yeah, that's what we're talking about, karma. That last one, they said, that's, that's, that's actually a quote from a website that I read on premillennialism. It's because premillennialisms, premillennialists say that Pompeii was Rome's karma. Let's do something kind of fun. You want to? Okay, on the song, When We All Get to Heaven... Fourth stanza, last verse says, We shall tread the streets of gold. In the song, No Night There, second stanza, third verse says, All the streets with gold are laid. When the saints go marching in, second stanza, Up where the streets are paved with gold. In the song, I've got a mansion. In the chorus, the fourth verse of the chorus says, but walk on streets that are purest gold. You see something each of those songs have in common. (laughs) You know, that's interesting. We're going to disagree again, I believe. Yeah, you're right. Revelation says street singular, right? Oh, 
there's another one. It won't be very long. Second stanza, third verse. We'll walk the streets of gold. Victory in Jesus, third stanza, second verse. It says, and I heard about the streets of gold. Here's the verse you're talking about. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each yielding its fruit every month. Let's get on through this part. This is a puzzle. Chapter 12, half of chapter 12 is a puzzle. This is another fun, fun little puzzle in the book of Revelation. Let's solve it right quick. And let's see where these plurals are coming from. I used to have a major problem with these streets, plural. But after I started looking at this and studying it, I don't have as much of a problem as... I, I still wish they said street singular. But I think I know where they get plural from. So here's where they get plural. Okay, he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God. Shall we gather at the river, the beautiful, the beautiful river, gather with the saints out of the river that flows by the throne of God? No, 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 no. It flows from the throne of God. The river of life is not, is not a lazy river where the saints are floating by on their on their inner tubes like you would at a, at a beach resort. It's flowing from the throne of God. The throne of God is the source of that river. Now, watch very closely. In the middle of the street was the tree of life. Okay, well there's the river first. In the middle of the street was the tree of life. On either side of the river was the tree of life. So what happens when you combine both of those together? The tree of life is in the middle of the, of the road, middle of the street, and it's on either side of the river. By the way, it could be that there's a tree from one end of that river to the other. In which case, what do we have? The tree of life is not a tree. It's not a tree. It's a species of tree. There was a tree of life in the Garden of Eden too, Remember? Okay, the tree of life is in the middle of the street. And the tree of life is on either side of the river. That necessitates the river of life going down the middle of the golden street, correct? Is my picture consistent with the verse? Okay, tell me, is that one street or two? That may be where they get the plural from. I still wish they would say singular, definitely. Yeah, I wish they would. That's probably where they came from. It is true that Alan Foley and I grew up in the same hometown of Tullahoma, Tennessee. They, have a, they used to have an interesting situation there back when Alan and I were, were growing up. They had a street called North Atlantic Street and South Atlantic Street. North Atlantic Street are the red streets going to the upper left. South Atlantic Streets are the yellow going to the lower lower right. Interesting part about it, there were two pavements that were separated by about 250 feet wide train track. Two pavements on either side of the train, uh, on either side of the railroad property, 
but they were both named the same name. At one time, it was the widest street in the world until China came up and built one wider than we had. Is that one street or two? Two pavements. At the time we were growing up there, Tullahoma considered that one street, North Atlantic Street and South Atlantic Street. Now it's Northeast Atlantic, Northwest Atlantic, Southeast Atlantic. They've separated the names. Is that one street or two? That lady from Revelation Illustrated, here's how she painted the picture. I hope that hope you see that well. You have the river of life walk going through, going down the middle of the golden of the golden street. You have your tree of life on either side of the river. Is that one street or two? The Bible calls it one street. But I can kind of see where all these songwriters would come up with the idea of it's two streets. Take that home and work with it. See what you come up with. Thank you very much. That's all. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School. West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.